A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. At Peckham Rye by Claire Pollard Lately, I see through a narrow chink in a stairgate. I see doors and think, can I get my pram through that? In the park, I dole out small snacks, rice cake, popped grapes, elven cheeses. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would be infinite. But I have closed us up in stacky cups a nursery and nap times, in a rhyme for snug. On warm grass, students sip their drinks, fill me with last night's drugs. Sleeplessness, I've heard, can induce visions. I try to let pale roses pool with supernatural light, but only think of baby wipes. Blake was four when God put his head to the window. Four. I am thirty-five and have wanted for there to be something so long and so much. And yes, my child reveals the holy in dull reality, but he makes dullness and reality my responsibility. At four, I believed I too was destined to see visions. On Rye Common, now, I scrub puree off my jeans, knowing angels bespangle every bough of every tree. For my son, perhaps or for someone, not me. Claire, where did this poem come from? Um, so like a lot of the poems in my collection, Incarnation, which I wrote the bulk of the, sort of the year after my son was born my eldest son who's now nine um and I thought when I had a child I wouldn't write anything that's what everybody warned me especially that first year but weirdly I found it quite conducive to writing Mm -hmm. um because it was very demanding of me sort of physically I was constantly either breastfeeding or pushing a pram around it seemed Uh but it wasn't very demanding of my thoughts um I was quite sort of bored and lonely and had a lot of thinking time. Mm-hmm. And I've always um, written poems um, while walking or swimming. Or I often find when I'm sort of moving or doing something physically, but, you know, I have nothing to occupy my thoughts, that's when a lot of poems come to me. So I actually found Pushing the Pram Around Peckham. I wrote lots and lots of poems that year. Um, and this was one of them that I actually wrote whilst Pushing the Pram Around Peckham Rye. And, and you know, the, I think the body can be a bit overlooked when it comes to writing poetry, can't it? I mean, I was talking about Wordsworth a, a few months ago and Coleridge, who famously did 
a lot of poetry writing combined with walking because that was when it seemed to bubble up for them. Mm. Yeah, I think it, perhaps it's something to do with the, the rhythm of walking and swimming as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, if if you were the sort of writer who needs a pen to write, that doesn't work. But for me, I've always written largely in my head. I don't even usually pick up a pen until the poem's nearly finished. Mm-hmm. So I don't have lots of first drafts in the bin because the first drafts happen in my head in a way. Um, in fact, if I start writing a poem down and it's not brilliant, I'm very disappointed because it, it would have sounded really good in my head before I even you know, got to that stage. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, and also, I mean, I was probably talking to myself, but people probably thought I was talking to the, the baby in the pram. Um, but, you know, I quite like to sort of say things aloud. Uh-huh. I like to hear things aloud as I'm writing. Um, I compose sort of orally in a way, is what I'm saying, I think, which I, I think you can hear in my poems, which are perhaps more musical than some of my contemporaries. <laughs> no, no shade on them. <laughs> well, no shade at all. <laughs> but that's where poetry started, isn't it? I mean, poets weren't literate to begin with. Mm. And if you couldn't carry the tune in your head, then it probably wasn't going to last, was it? Yeah, exactly. And so although this poem is free verse, um, I thought a lot about the rhythm of it, as I do all my poems. And I think the rhythm, in my more free verse poems, the rhythm's more emotional, perhaps, rather than tum-ti-tum, but it's definitely still there. So I'm curious, how many drafts can there be in, in your head, or how long can it be? I mean, does it have to be, you know, that afternoon, or it's, or it's kind of faded from your memory, or could it be like a couple of weeks later that it's been, you know, hanging around in your head? I always think if I if I forget something, it can't have been very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's a severe editor. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, it wouldn't have come word for word in my head like this, but the idea of Blake, some of the lines would definitely have, have come to me that afternoon. And some of the, I think that one of the early lines that came to me was that my child reveals the holy and dull reality, but he makes dullness and reality my responsibility. And sort of um, that's that sticks in my head. I think of that quite often. The rhythm of that as well. And what a beautiful summation of the parents' experience. Because you can't, yeah, on one level, this is it's all holy and it's wonderful, and I should be grateful. But on the other hand, <laughs> I'm the one dealing with all this this dullness and reality. Yeah, and I think that's the central sort of theme of my whole book incarnation, in a way, which is. I mean, originally I, I'd thought I didn't even want to write a motherhood book, you know, that it would be too predictable and mm-hmm. um, um, twee and so on. Um, but actually I found then suddenly in midlife you've got this huge new seam of human experience and childbirth is this massive traumatic event that you want to write about. Um, but also, you know, just the responsibility of bringing a child into the world, the way it makes you question how to raise them and you know what stories to tell them and um the way it makes you know it's a big life or death theme and so I started to think rather than I don't want to write a motherhood book I started to think you know why isn't motherhood poetry as big a genre why isn't it seen as as important as war poetry or you know Mm -hmm. another genre like that and um I wanted to write motherhood poems that were not were not twee or on or obviously domestic that grappled with these big big philosophical thoughts I suppose 
Um, so this this poem is a sort of, it came quite early on and I think it sums up a lot of themes of the book. And there is, of course, me as the sort of female writer um, who's always been very ambitious and intelligent. I always remember that intel- uh, that line Doris Lessing has, there's nothing more boring for an intelligent woman than to spend endless amounts of time with small children. Um, <laughs> um, she solved the dilemma by abandoning her children, <laughs> which I, I right. obviously didn't want to do. Um, but, you know, I there is that sense when you become a mother, even though I've been a feminist all my life, suddenly I'm very much pushed, suddenly I felt impacted upon by mm-hmm. the general misogyny of society. And people, you know, patronise you, tell you how to look after your child in the street, call you mum wherever you go, <laughs> um, you know, feel they can pat your stomach. And suddenly there's that, you know, expectation that you'll breastfeed if you're a good mother, which means you're basically tied. Your husband ends up going out to work and you end up at home tied to, or your partner, you end up um, being the primary child carer, even though that wasn't you know, ever my plan. And I remember another mum saying to me when I was pregnant, I was talking about wanting to go on a trip the next year. And she was like, oh, well, it's not about you now. You know, and there was that, I, that was that sense that fear for me that I was getting pushed to the side of my own life in some way um, and that my I would never be able to fulfill any of my ambitions again, you know. Um, so I suppose that's all there in the poem, especially setting it up with William Blake, who did famously, as a boy, live around Peckham Rye and did see his vision of angels there. Um, and I was, suppose I was thinking about the indulgence that a lot of male poets get and the way they always get to be sort of centre of their own life (laughs) whereas the women often end up picking up the the domestic and the drudgery right and I think that is one and this is not just this poem but all the way through the collection you've got this wonderful tension between the visionary and the the domestic and here of course Blake you know what do we think of when we think of Blake we think of the visions we think of the the stereotypical male romantic Mm. poet and you're contrasting that with your experience and and also I'm picking up your desire as well for that visionary realm I've wanted for there to be something so long yeah yeah it's the, it's the smallness I suppose of, of domestic life and life with a child um I'd, I'd recently been reading Aldous Huxley's The Doors of Perception as well when yeah. I was pregnant which was really interesting I mean I read a lot of philosophy I'm interested in that sort of thing I'm not I, I, I'm not part of any organised religion and I sort of had an atheist phase when I was younger, but I'm, I'm mainly agnostic now, but I'm interested in thinking about, you know, the meaning of life, <laughs> who we are, the big questions. And I'm inter- I've always been interested in sort of visionaries and, and mystics, more that side of it. And so if anyone isn't familiar with the, the Blake quote, if the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would be infinite. Huxley picked that up, didn't he, in his essay on perception yes he did involving mescaline i believed yeah um, (laughs) yeah he was experimenting (laughs) with drugs which is where the drugs reference comes in this poem i suppose right i think think that's an interesting little rhyme in a rhyme for snug i was obviously thinking of snug as a bug in a rug which is something i said to my children quite often at bedtime oh you know you'll be snug as a bug in a rug it seemed to me like the ultimate sort of twee cozy little rhyme yeah. But then you can see my mind wander 
rather jealously in the poem as I glance across and see the students and see the telltale signs that they've been on drugs. Right. Um, so I think that rhyme is quite, quite interesting, really. I, th- I love that. It was, I, and I think rhyme is a kind of a, maybe can be a bit of an overlooked form of wit. Yeah. It is almost a joke that I think and it shows I'm not I'm not quite the per, the cozy mother, you know. Right, there's a there's a rhyme joke <laughs> genre here, rhyming snug yeah. with drugs. You know, last month I was talking about Christina Rossetti with her critique of a, a male artist and she I just wondered if it was a coincidence that she'd rhymed him with dim mm. and um you know whether that's <laughs> yeah. a subtle dig. <laughs> Good one. Um there's so, there's another there's another thing in here as well which is um I've, I've written a book called Fierce Bad Rabbits, which is a history of children's picture books. And my favourite my favorite book as a child was Hilda Boswell's Treasury of Poetry. And she, mm-hmm. Hilda Boswell's a brilliant illustrator. And there's a poem that ends, um, this little girl runs through all these fields and she only realises why at the end. She says, I only knew at last why I'd run so far, so fast on every branch of every tree. A fairy sat and smiled at me. And there's this most exquisite picture in the book of this tree just shimmering with hundreds of fairies. And for me, that's always been sort of the, it was a picture that filled me with such longing, such longing mm. to see something, you know, other, other beyond the natural. Um, and it's an image that j- just recurs in my work. And I think it's, it's there at the, at the end when my son's seeing angels in the tree, that Blakeian image, but it's also that image of that, that I long for of those fairies in the tree, and the fairies are there at the beginning with the the tiny, the tiny little picnic I've made for my son with the rice cake and the popped grapes. You pop them so they won't choke on them, and the um, baby bells. I was thinking the elven cheeses. So elven, that's is that like how you imagine elven cheeses would be? Well, I just was thinking of these sort of tiny, cute cheese. There's something adorable about the, the smallness of, you know, I, I don't, I don't. I didn't hate having small children. In some ways, there's something quite magic about it. You do mm. see the leafiness of leaves again. You do stomp in puddles. You know, you do you do blow dandelion clocks and press. Fl- there is a sort of magic in it, which I wanted. But at the same time, it's tedious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that but. But he makes yeah. dullness and reality my responsibility. And that, that really is... It's, I don't know. I mean, my memory from when our children were small was on the one hand, I was thinking, this is a really magical time. You should remember this and treasure this. <laughs> but I'm just so tired. I've got yes. so much to do. Yeah, that's it's... the other thing, the sleeplessness, which is actually a state that some people try to, <laughs> you know, maybe yeah. it is a visionary state being that sleeplessness. Maybe you do see beyond the veil <laughs> in some level. But alas, not this day on Peckham Rye. Um, yes. I mean that's a that's a funny rhyme as well, isn't it? Um, well, I think it's funny. I try to let pale roses pool with supernatural light, but only think of baby wipes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those, isn't there? When you when you keep looking at the poem, you find more of them. Yeah, yeah. And also that that base the bathos of the sort of longer longer line, and then the sh- the shorter line mm-hmm. that I've done there creates a sort of punchline I think a sort of flatness that's a sort of punchline yeah so maybe we could maybe you'd like to say something about the form because you know and again I'm curious because like visually on the page you can see uh, folks check out the website if you want to 
to see the text laid out. You, it is quite bold, isn't it? The way you've used long and very short lines. Quite a lot of time you'd be told to tidy that up, wouldn't you? Not by me. <laughs> not mean, by I you. Do, I do a lot of poetry teaching and I would not right. to tidy sure. that up. But, but you know, there's a convention, isn't there, that sometimes you... Yeah, but it's, I mean, that it's a, that's a visual convention, you see. People like yes. things to look neat to the eye. Yes. Um, but because I mainly compose in my head, I don't really give two hoots about how it looks to the eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, who needs little neat little boxes all over their books? I'm not very interested in that. Um, so, um, yeah, I just, for me, I, I break where I breathe or where I, where I need the emphasis. It's all, it's all oral, really. Right. And, and I think this is really important for us to bear in mind because some poets will be very visually oriented the way they like to lay it out on the page. But for you, it's, it's very much a, a kind of a, a nudge towards that oral recital. You can all, yeah, you can always hear my line breaks when I read. Right. Always. Right. I read the line breaks, you know, you can hear there's always, a, mm-hmm. there's always an audible pause or breath. And that's how I like my line breaks. <laughs> Even when I've done a concrete poem, yeah, I read the line breaks, so it has to work for me both ways. Like I've done one shaped like a whale's tail, but you have to be able to, for me, I have to be able to put the pauses where I've put them Gosh. and it to sound right or I've, or have failed, otherwise I've just shoveled a poem into the shape of a whale's tail. Right, but and a lot of poets will say about concrete poems, oh, well, I can't read it. Yeah, yeah, well, it's not good, not good enough. <laughs> that, that, that's not good enough for you. <laughs> Brilliant. And so I usually, at this point, I would ask the poet, you know, how did this evolve from the first draft? But it sounds like most of that evolution happened in your head. I mean, what could you maybe say something about the process of how long it gestated to coin a phrase in your head and then you know how much editing and changing there was once it was on the page um it's very hard for me to remember i was i'd had not had very much sleep <laughs> <laughs> i'd not had very much sleep at the time you know i would say um something about the form i should say but i mean i'm almost afraid to flag it up but a, a very claire pollard cliche is to end with a rhyming couplet and um I probably the end came early. Mm-hmm. That's what happens to me. I know a lot of people like to just start with the first line and see where it takes them and go on a journey. But yeah. I'm almost the opposite. I find so often I almost start with the end. I know I've got this strong line. That I, mm-hmm. I know, I think, oh, yeah, that's saying something profound. <laughs> right. And then I have to almost find my way to it. So it's the opposite way. I have to sort of work out how I'm going to get, get there. Um, and I, I like big endings and I, I'm, can't resist a rhyming couple at the end, the way it sort of clinks a poem shut that I have to sort of ration myself out now and only allow myself, you know, three or four in a book or something. <laughs> cause I, cause I, I, you know, I would go for every time if I was allowed. But they're so satisfying. Like Shakespeare was. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's satisfying, isn't it? Yeah. So it, so it rhymes with the rhyming, it ends with the rhyming couplet this, which is very typical of a lot of my free verse poems. Um, it is very satisfying. And so that probably came, I can tell you that that probably came really quite early on, that ending, and then it was thinking about how I, how I got there. I imagine, the, I imagine the second half of the poem came first, in a way. The bit mm-hmm. about Blake, because I, I was on Peckham Rye thinking about right. Blake. 
and my sort of jealousy of him seeing visions and then remembering that image of the fairies in the tree and thinking having that thought angels bespangle every bar of every tree for my son perhaps or for someone not me that is probably was the first draft of the poem and but then I was thinking that I need I need to get there somehow I need to start mm-hmm. whoa there Claire let's step back how do I get in get into that place sure but I imagine it would be quite motivating knowing that you've got a great ending to lead up to yeah yeah it is <laughs> my main motivation when I write poems. <laughs> You've got to pave the way for that, for the ending. Yeah. And I think I wanted to put something more of the, the setting of Peckham Rye itself, which is a really interesting place and a place I was spending, you know, going to most days. I was pushing, I was pushing around Peckham Rye most days. Um, it's a beautiful park and it's got this history. Maybe say something about that, because there's quite a few of our listeners who will not have been to Peckham. Um, it's just a re- it's just a really nice big park with a massive common, but it's also got you know Japanese gardens and beautifully laid out gardens and ducks. We did a lot of feeding of the ducks. And <laughs> um, uh, Peckham's nice though; it's much greener than people think it is. Um, yeah, I uh, let's think what else. Narrow chink in a stairgate. I think that's a good first line. That probably came quite late because I was thinking about the doors of perception. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a door, isn't it? Yeah, but it's very, not not even just a stairgate, but a chink in a stairgate. Suddenly your house is full of bars, you know. (laughs) But also it made me think of that image of God putting his head to the window, you know, your head at mm. the stairgate looking in. It seemed to be a lovely symmetry there. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, Mark, actually, but you're right. It works well, doesn't it? And you are your child's God in a way, I suppose. Mm. <laughs> um, and I, I see doors and think, can I get my pram through that? I'm building up to that doors of perception image, aren't I? Yeah. Um, which is a problem. You can't get in a lot of shops. I really hated that. I'm a very, very independent woman. And one thing, I, which is in some of the other poems, I, I really didn't like was this sudden dependence on strangers to, you know, help me, help me onto the bus. And you'd sort of have to wait around at the bottom of the stairs on the tube, hoping someone would offer to help oh, you up the that, stairs. That so used to drive me up the wall because... We had twins, and so I had one pushchair. Oh I couldn't, I couldn't help Mammy with the other one. And it was amazing how many people would walk past and not help. So you couldn't um, get in any shops. <laughs> you, you, we, we did feel a bit kind of unwelcome in the world. I remember mm. that feeling very distinctly of being, oh, we're we're now a nuisance. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is that, and that you, you just people seemed annoyed with you for blocking the pavement and things, as though you were an inconvenience. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's all there, I think. And I love the way it ends with not me. I mean, that kind of sums up the whole, that whole feeling of the poem. Like, you know, when that charming lady said to you, it's not about you anymore. <laughs> yes, that charming lady. Yeah, I think that is the whole, um, I mean, it's okay now, everyone who's in that space at the moment. I feel, <laughs> like I've, I feel like I've come through it. My life perhaps is about myself again after all. But there, there, there is a lot of, at that time, you do feel you're not the most important person in your own life. Especially, I think pregnancy sort of begins that process. Because, you know, you can't pick up a chair without someone 
looking at you very disapprovingly. You know, you're you're just a sort of vessel. You're just a sort of vessel <laughs> as far as a lot of people are concerned um, from, from pregnancy on, really. It feels like you've become less important than what you're carrying. Right, and you don't own yourself in some way. People have this proprietorial interest in you. Mm. It's interesting as well in the last line, I say my son perhaps. I mean, he was my son, but mm. it's something about he's male so you know perhaps he won't have to go through this i think it's there well thank you claire for capturing that that really uncomfortable and in between but you know in an interesting way it comes across as i mean it does come across as a visionary poem in spite of you saying it's not visionary i i do get a sense of the light um peeping through the chinks um so maybe this would be a good point for us to to listen to it again and look out for those chinks of light At Peckham Rye by Claire Pollard Lately, I see through a narrow chink in a stairgate. I see doors and think, can I get my pram through that? In the park, I dole out small snacks, rice cake, popped grapes, elven cheeses. If the doors of perception were cleansed, everything would be infinite. But I have closed us up in stacky cups a nursery and nap times, in a rhyme for snug. On warm grass, students sip their drinks, fill me with last night's drugs. Sleeplessness, I've heard, can induce visions. I try to let pale roses pool with supernatural light, but only think of baby wipes. Blake was four when God put his head to the window. Four, I am thirty-five, and have wanted for there to be something so long and so much. And yes, my child reveals the holy in dull reality, but he makes dullness and reality my responsibility. At four, I believed I too was destined to see visions. On Rye Common, now, I scrub puree off my jeans, knowing angels bespangle every bough of every tree. For my son, perhaps or for someone, not me. At Peckham Rye by Claire Pollard is from her collection Incarnation, published by Blood Axe Books. Claire Pollard has published five collections of poetry with Blood Axe, most recently Incarnation, and a pamphlet, The Lives of the Female Poets, published by Bad Betty Press. Her poem Pollen has recently been nominated for the Forward Prize for Best Single Poem 2022. She has been involved in numerous translation projects, including translating Ovid's Heroines, which she toured as a one-woman show. Claire has also written a play, The Weather, that premiered at the Royal Court Theatre, and a non-fiction title, Fierce Bad Rabbits, The Tales Behind Children's Picture Books. Her latest book is the novel Delphi.
A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links, as well as a full episode archive, at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves and Visual Identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative, with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.